the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Heart of Innovation, 60 minutes that can save life and limb with new breakthrough ideas and innovation changing the healthcare landscape. Brought to you by patient advocacy group, thewaytomyheart.org, in partnership with Cardiovascular System Incorporated's patient advocacy campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation. Here are your hosts for the Heart of Innovation, Emmy Award-winning journalist and founder of The Way to My Heart, Kim McNicholas, and interventional cardiologist and founder of the Save My Piggies Health Education Series, Dr. John Phillips. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Heart of Innovation. I'm John Phillips. I am joined today by my wonderful award-winning co-host, Kimberly McNicholas, and today's topic and the entire show is a Save My Piggies episode. So I'm super psyched about that. I know, Kim, you are as well. You know, Save My Piggies, we started it several years ago. It's it's dedicated to patient advocacy um, in folks that have peripheral arterial disease and other medical ailments, and it really allows them to tell their story in their own words. So we have the whole hour devoted to, I think, what's going to be a pretty riveting story and we have multiple guests that are going to be joining us so kim i need you to tell me a little bit more about how this show is going to unfold well this is really about uh, one of our friends in in our network at the way to my heart helen and how chronic pain led her ultimately to some jail time uh we're gonna it, it's really how this so many people with vascular disease have chronic pain and they don't get diagnosed early enough. And so they don't get the early treatment and it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And chronic pain can have a huge impact, not only physically on you, but also mentally. Many individuals who suffer from vascular diseases like PAD, peripheral artery disease, that circulation issue, um, as well as the chronic venous insufficiency, uh, which is with the veins, you know, you're, the valves, you have valves in your veins and they stop working and stop ushering the blood back to the heart in an effective manner. That can also cause a lot of pain for, for people. So this ongoing pain can make people feel like a sense of helplessness and frustration. And, you know, as people try to regain their, their control of their health, you know, a lot of things can happen. And Helen's here to share her story. We also have vascular surgeon Christopher Stout, who is here with us. He's going to talk about um, these circulatory issues and how they can lead to chronic pain. And then we have a, a psychiatric nurse practitioner, Catherine Walker, who is the founder and CEO of Revitalist, which is a chain of doing? wellness um, facilities across the U.S. And she is going to also uh, be joining us as an expert. So this should be really exciting, but we're going to start with Helen's story. So, so we just have a few words of inspiration. Dr. John Phillips, spectacular, vascular moment of inspiration. 
Well, you know, um, I apologize for not being here last week, but my father passed away unexpectedly and um, he was suffering from Parkinson's disease. And, you know, it's really hard. And Kim and you, I think, can attest to this too after losing your mom to see somebody that you love, maybe not in their, uh, you, you know, prime and kind of dwindle away. But when they when they pass, you start thinking of memories, right? And, and you try to remember yeah. them when they were in their prime. And I remember I had to do the eulogy for my dad, and I was all these kind of emotions got uh, drudged up again. But he, he was a man of a few words. He was pretty humble, um, probably the smartest man I knew. But um, he always his big his big tenants were like integrity honesty and and empathy and and he actually made us when we were kids at the dinner table when we were kind of not being most empathetic people in the world we'd have to go get a dictionary and you know now dictionaries are online and we'd have to go look up the word empathy and read it out loud you know i'm going to do that right now because i think empathy really plays into the topic of, of this show a lot of times we i i'm guilty of this too i see a patient who obviously has a the medical end and you try to be empathetic but you try to, to really kind of like walk a mile in their shoes so at any rate the merriam webster definition of empathy is this the action of understanding being aware being sensitive to and vicariously experiencing the feelings thoughts and experience of another so that's to you dad uh, i'm reading the <laughs> dictionary definition of empathy on the air to anyone who's listening. So kudos. And uh, again, hope to see you soon. Not too soon, but sometime in the future. Um, But anyway, Kim, there you go. Those are my words or my definition of inspiration. Oh, I think that that was absolutely beautiful. And I know, you know, I like to feel like my mom's always here with me. And so I know that your dad is always with you as well. And he's smiling at you right now for sharing those words of wisdom. And I see, I wanted to say hello really quick to Catherine Walker, our psychiatric nurse practitioner and CEO of Revitalist, just because I was watching her nod her head as you were reading that empathy is so important, especially as we, we go into Helen's story today and she starts to share it because that's one of the things that we're really hoping for with you know the folks that are involved with her story that they can you know show a little empathy and understanding right Catherine yeah you know I mean uh, Helen bravo for you to be here and actually share your story and you know it's a huge piece of vulnerability um, but that's greatly what we're lacking in society these days is is the ability to be vulnerable in right. front of or with others. Um, yeah. So Helen's story, I mean, um, I think it's going to be a great story, not only to show empathy, but also to have that connection. Right. So that's the big thing, you know, is we're losing connection because we're too much on data and different pieces like that. And we're forgetting what it's like to have that empathy, that connection, that feeling towards others. So um, I'm glad you're here, Helen. And Dr. Christopher Stout, you know, one of the things it's especially important when it comes to physicians and with that earlier diagnosis and making sure that you're listening to to the patient and understanding um, what they're feeling, what they're going through and see if there's a way that you can help them so that they don't get to the point that we're going to discuss, for example, with Helen. But her story is not isolated. And that's because, in my opinion, there isn't as much empathy as there should be in the vascular space. What are your thoughts? 
Yes, uh, I agree with you 100%. And I see this on a daily basis. Um, For example, I have a patient that was supposed to see an interventionalist and he's scheduled three months out. The guy's got a uh, ulcer on his toe and his ABI is around 0.5 and, and he's been wondering and worrying whether or not he's going to lose his leg. Um, in addition to the physical aspects that the peripheral artery disease has inhibited and affected his quality of life, it's also a mental aspect. Um, these, these, these folks with this disease process have um, a significant mental, um, I guess, you know, fatigue from dealing with it and dealing with navigating the hospital systems, the uh, healthcare systems is very difficult for me. It can be frustrating. And then you throw depression and a feeling of hopelessness on top of that because they can't get in, they can't get treated. And that is something that we need to address as um, healthcare providers because it is a significant disease that is clearly underrepresented in the literature from a mental health aspect. We'll come up next right here on the Heart of Innovation and our Save My Piggies special. We are going to hear from Helen. You don't want to miss her story. So stay with us right here on the show. Leg health can indicate risk for heart attack, stroke, and amputation. If you have leg pain or cramps while walking, get checked for peripheral artery disease, or PAD. PAD is plaque buildup in mainly the leg arteries. Be sure to ask your physician for an ankle brachial index, also called an ABI test, where they use blood pressure cuffs to analyze the blood pressure in your legs. If they discover you have arterial plaque that's limiting blood flow to your feet, medicine and a regimented walking program are frontline treatment. If PAD is in its advanced stages, your physician may schedule a surgical intervention. Minimally invasive tools are available to remove plaque and restore blood flow, including cardiovascular system's Diamondback 360 atherectomy system, which sands away plaque that is a hard calcium. It's important to discuss all options with your physician, and if told you have no options, get a second opinion. Take a stand against amputation. For more information, go to standagainstamputation.com. That's standagainstamputation.com. Save My Piggies, your life, your limb, your story, with host Dr. John Phillips and Kim McNicholas. Hi, everyone, and and welcome. We have a very special story to share with you. We have Helen, who is with us, along with her husband, Joe, and Helen is going to be sharing her story. We have, of course, my co-host, Dr. John Phillips here. We have a psychiatric nurse practitioner and CEO of Revitalist, a chain of wellness um, companies across the U.S. She is here. And also Dr. Christopher Stout, who is a vascular surgeon. Helen, thank you so much for your bravery and joining us and, and your courage. And I know so many others are going to relate to you and um, be inspired by you as well. And as Dr. Phillips mentioned in the in the first segment, this is really all about um, empathy, right? Um, would you want to start us off I, with your experience? You were diagnosed with peripheral artery disease, which is the circulation issue, meaning, meaning the arteries, as well as chronic venous insufficiency, which impacts the veins. So you really got a double whammy there and you were in pain. Yes. So start us off. And you started feeling these symptoms and what the doctor responded 
um, to you? Everything came on quick. Um, I, I was walking great in January. Everything came on quick on uh, January 27th. My daughter and I were going on vacation, and I couldn't walk more than a few hundred steps. And she finally said, she's a nurse, and she said, uh, you, ne- you need to go to the emergency room. So I went to the emergency room, and they diagnosed me. They said, when you get back to Georgia, um, go to a doctor and get treated for this. So I got back to Georgia and tried to find a doctor. No, nobody would take me. I didn't have insurance. And um, I finally found insurance. And you found me a doctor in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. And um, he he did diagnose me, and but he, he really didn't give me anything for pain or anything. And he just sent me on the way. I'm constantly in pain. And I would tell my husband, my son, I, I couldn't walk. I, you know, it hurt to walk. It constantly in pain, excruciating. Right, we you took were that, only Helen. walking about a tenth of a mile, right? You could only walk a tenth of a mile before the pain would just be crippling. It, it would it would be terrible. Going around the grocery store, I had to take a buggy. Um, going outside, I had to stop and try to find a place to sit down. It was terrible. So, just so I understand the the symptoms and the timeline, you were prior to the twenty seventh of January. You were walking fine, and then something acute. Fine. Is that right? I was walking great. In fact, um, my daughter flew to Jacksonville uh, to spend the holidays with us, and um, I walked three miles one morning while she was still asleep. And no problem at all. No, no pains anywhere. So, so Chris, you know, for me, if I hear that from a patient, acute onset, you know, change in ability to walk, to me, that means something has something acutely has changed as opposed to somebody who might have some chronic peripheral arterial disease. And, you know, they've built up collaterals and things and kind of they've, they've adapted to it over time. And that's a red flag, in my opinion, meaning that patient needs to be evaluated ASAP and potentially treated ASAP. Again, I can't speak for what the assessment was back when you were on vacation, but so you just, uh, Helen, what were you, I guess, told that you had? Um, Well, down in Key West at the um, emergency room, they said I had peripheral artery disease. And that's all they said. And they said, when you get back to Georgia, you need to get it checked out. And then when I got the doctor in Jacksonville, he said peripheral artery disease. I had a 50% blockage um, from my thigh to my stomach. And that um, a lot of it was also caused by uh, vein deficiency. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this, they had this scheduled a-, a bunch of diagnostics for the rest of the summer, which it turns out because of the lack of insurance or the wrong insurance that she had ended up purchasing, none of the diagnostics, not even the consults were were covered and they wouldn't be covered going forward. And so that became an issue. I'm sorry, Dr. Stout. Yeah. Hey, Chris, out here, vascular surgery. Um, 
you know, listening to what's going on and with the acute onset, that's more of an urgent thing that needs to be addressed. Um, the things that come to my mind with the, you know, something that comes on all of a sudden, you definitely got to worry about a clot that uh, either formed in an artery or uh, a clot that had gone from the heart or traveled from somewhere else, the heart or the aorta that went to the lower legs and that has implications that needs to be addressed because those clots can go other places like the brain um, or to the heart and those need to be addressed. So I do think that, yeah, I think that insurance really kind of hurt you pretty badly here. Yeah. And we're going to share with you coming up next right here on the save my piggies series on the heart of innovation. We are going to um, hear what the, what happened after Helen um, ended up having trouble with the uh, insurance and is experiencing chronic pain. You don't want to miss it. So stay with us. Three years ago, my symptoms started with leg pain and leg cramps while walking. Me too, with a tightness in my calves. Well, do you know, my doctor thought that my leg cramps were a side effect of the statin he prescribed me. Well, my doctor just brushed them off as another symptom of old age. Mine thought the pain was radiating from my spine. My doctor blamed my neuropathy on diabetes until I got a wound on my foot that just wouldn't heal. Yeah, it turns out we all have peripheral artery disease, also known as PAD. It's plaque buildup mainly in the leg, arteries causing poor circulation. For me, the diagnosis came too late and I lost my leg, but that does not have to happen to you. No, it does not because there are treatment options available if you're diagnosed early enough. PAD, peripheral artery disease. If you've been experiencing leg pain, leg cramps, or neuropathy when walking and your doctor isn't hearing you, we are. We are the way to my heart, the largest support network for peripheral artery disease patients. And we want to help you get back on your feet again. Visit our website at thewaytomyheart.com. Org or call our Legsaver hotline, 415-320-7138. Your life and limb could depend on it. Save my piggies, your life, your limb, your story. With host Dr. John Phillips and Kim McNicholas. Welcome back, everybody. We are continuing our conversation with Helen, who before the break was telling us about what sounds like some relatively sudden onset changes uh, with respect to leg pain, ability to walk. She had an evaluation when she was on vacation and they told her she had peripheral arterial disease. And now, Helen, you're back in Georgia. You are got some and you finally got insurance and and you're hoping to get some answers. Uh, Is that right? Yes. Yes. Yes, I, I got a doctor down in Jacksonville. He did a couple of different tests, and he said it's peripheral artery disease. I had a 50% blockage um, between my thigh and my stomach, but that he wouldn't touch it because it was only 50% unblocked, and that most of the rest of the pain was vein deficiency. And so, you know, I, I, honestly, if, if you came to me and I – read that ultrasound and and assume it's done correctly 50 percent blockage yeah that can cause some symptoms for folks i guess i'm interested how they made the leap to 
vein problems. Oftentimes folks that have vein problems, um, they can have some swelling, aching, heaviness in the leg, some discoloration, some visible veins. D- do you, did you or do you have any of that or they must have done no. some tests? They must have no, some I just told him that I had a lot of pain in the ankles and he ordered a test. And then he said the test came back and it was vein deficiency. Okay, so now you have kind of two two diagnoses, but still you're in a, a fair amount of pain. Yeah. Did they try to say, well, maybe this isn't all vascular and maybe there's something else going on? No? No. No, but Nobody she's sitting there, she's in, she's in severe pain. It's debilitating. It's it's crippling. Uh, she has more tests that they wanted to do that were extended throughout the summer. And the medical bills are piling up because what happened with your insurance? Well, I got the insurance online and they said that I could go to any doctor, any hospital. And I also bought the prescription plan and they said it would take care of prescriptions. So it was one eighty eighty seven for the insurance, $29 for the prescriptions. And every time I went to the doctor, it wouldn't pay for anything. And so we called them up and uh, we said, what's going on? They said, oh, it should be paying for everything. And it was paying for nothing. And um, so, yeah. So, Helen, talking about your pain and such. So this is Katie Walker. Um, I'm a nurse practitioner, but I'm also a CRNA by trade as well. So um, I have an anesthesia degree and then I help with the psychiatry piece, too. So, you know, talking about like peripheral artery disease and, and, and all your venous insufficiencies and stuff and everyone who's on this station. Right. And I know Dr. Stout knows this immensely, too. You know, when we say the word pain, we look at it as like a very unilateral definition, right? Like, oh, you're in pain. What happens with people when they have, you know, artery and and venous deficiencies, there's like five different levels of different types of pain that you guys are dealing with at any given time. So, you know, there's one type of pain called like tourniquet pain. Right. So that pain actually can start when there's kind of a blockage there and it can actually start about 45 minutes later. And it's it's just this aching pain that just hurts, which I'm expecting, you know, a lot of people who may have artery and and venous issues have that. Right. So that's one type of pain. There's another type of pain called reperfusion pain. So when there's more blood flow coming in and there's like lactic acid, you know, like after you work out, sometimes you may get a buildup of that. Well, that's a different type of pain. Well, now they've also proved that our mental health and our pain are directly related. So when mentally, when we're not feeling well, we have more pain. And if you think about it, when you have the flu, you don't want people to touch you a lot of times like that. Right. So you've got that. But then you also have to think about the trauma that you've you've already now been through because of what the system has done. Right. The system has failed you currently. And unfortunately, with the system failing you and trying to get you any type of relief from your pain or intervention or whatever else, you felt like you had to take measures into your own hands to advocate for yourself. And, you know, it's really unfortunate because that's, you know, one, that's a great reason for this radio station is because it's helping to increase access. It's bringing the professionals to the front to where everybody can start, like, making sense of what's there, what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. Because, you know, Dr. Phillips and Dr. Stout and myself working in the medical field, we know your story doesn't make sense as to the way it's supposed to be. But others don't know that. Others don't know that, you know, there are advocates out there. There are pathways to go to to try to get people to help advocate for yourself. But when you're trying to take on the system, 
100% by yourself, it's hard. And you know what that leads to? A lot of times, I mean, actions like you took, you advocated for yourself, but also what happens is people get lost in the systems. And a lot of times this is when people kill themselves, you know? So it's very, very unfortunate that people take that action as well, but they feel lost. They feel stuck. They don't know what else to do. Right. So you took, you made a decision to advocate for yourself, but we've got to do a better job at helping people to know like, this is right. This is wrong here. We will help you because people should not be in your situation right now. No. And so what did you do? How did you decide to advocate for yourself and to try and find some sort of relief? Well, my, my husband and son and I were on vacation in Canada and I was in so much pain and my son, especially, he, um, he, he doesn't really get the pain either. And uh, so I, I'm telling him I'm in so much pain. And he's like, oh, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. And I'm like, I, I can't. I, I can't even, I got to sit down on a bench every couple of feet. This is terrible. And so then we got home and um, our, our car broke again from driving back and forth to Jacksonville. And we got a big bill of $3,000 to fix it, my, my husband's truck. And I said, this, this is too much. I, I'm a burden on my husband and my son. This is just too much. And um, so I went into Walmart. I put a bunch of things in the buggy. And I, I said, you know, I'm going to put myself in jail. And maybe that will take care of the, um, the medical part of it so they don't have to worry about me. Coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation, you're going to find out about what happened next in her story. So stay with us. Medical Notepad brought to you by Cardiovascular Systems Incorporated's patient advocacy campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation, and The Weight of My Heart. My name is Anaita Dua. I am a vascular surgeon at Massachusetts General Hospital and Harvard Medical School and Associate Professor of Surgery. And this is this week's Medical Notepad. Why should patients really take into consideration? Yes, you should stop smoking anyway, but why should they really take it into consideration before any procedure? Great, great, great question. I'm so glad you asked that. So I'll start out by saying I know that, you know, you go to any doctor's office and the doctor would be smoking a cigarette themselves back in the day and tell you to stop smoking. So it's become sort of a, oh, doctors just want me to eat healthy and stop smoking. It's true, but let me tell you why specifically, scientifically, it matters in PAD. So basically, in peripheral artery disease, okay, the artery has three layers. Think of a layered cake. The inner layer of the artery is like an ice skating rink, okay? That's called the intima. It's flat. Why? Because blood shoots past it. So imagine someone shooting on that ice, ice skating. The next layer is a muscle. And the final layer on the outside is like a garbage bin liner. It's like a stretchy, strong thing that holds everything together. Now, smoking specifically, we don't know what chemical or what it is, or, but smoking specifically has something within it that causes cracks on the ice inside the blood vessel. So think of a bagel that we put cream cheese on. What happens if you put cream cheese on a bagel? It's nice and smooth and silky. But if you leave that bagel out overnight and you come and take a look at it, when the cream cheese dries, you get those cracks, right? In cream cheese, that sort of crack is exactly what happens inside the blood vessel. 
now. As I said earlier, blood is pretty stupid. It either clots or it flows. So imagine if you're skating on ice and there's a giant crack. What's going to happen? You're going to fall because your ice skate is going to get stuck and you're going to fall. Similarly, blood is made up of a bunch of cells. Okay? Those cells, when they skate over a crack, fall into that little divot. And when blood is stressed or is suddenly not going in a straight line, it triggers the clotting cascade. So when the blood slips into those little cracks in your now cracked inside of the blood vessel, you will start to form clot in those little cracks. And clot makes more clot because the blood's going to say, hey, they're clotting over there. Whoa, whoa, we need to all be clotting. And the whole blood vessel now with all those cracks form these columns of clot that then stop all blood flow from flowing. So if you smoke, it causes the inner lining of your blood vessels to thrombose. And that is why doctors don't like to operate on someone who's smoking because we know that you already are in a state where you're likely to clot because you're already hypercoagulable because we've just operated on you. So your inflammatory markers are on off and all these things are happening. Now you're going to add to that the cracks. Oh my goodness, that is going to clot. And so we know that and that is why doctors can be so aggressive about, no, I will not operate on you if you're smoking. I also had learned it also makes your blood just sticky. It sure does. It makes you what we call viscous. So think of um, water. That's what your blood should be like, like water. But when you smoke, your blood becomes like honey. So a little bit thicker. Now, when it's thicker, it's more likely to clot. That's why pregnant women get blood clots that go to their lungs. That's what's happening. When you're pregnant, you have an increase in pregnancy. And, uh, excuse me, an increase in... Uh, um, uh, in your blood becoming thicker and that increase in your blood becoming thicker ultimately results in your uh, clotting occurring. So the same exact thing happens. And so you it's, forget blood clots just in your legs. Stroke, heart attack, those are all blood clots. Remember, the advice and views offered during this series are for informational and educational purposes only. Always ask your own healthcare provider for explicit consent before acting on any information provided here. If you want more information on peripheral artery disease, go to standagainstamputation.com. And for real-time support, go to thewaytomyheart.org. Leg health can indicate risk for heart attack, stroke, and amputation. If you have leg pain or cramps while walking, get checked for peripheral artery disease, or PAD. PAD is plaque buildup in mainly the leg arteries. Be sure to ask your physician for an ankle brachial index, also called an ABI test, where they use blood pressure cuffs to analyze the blood pressure in your legs. If they discover you have arterial plaque that's limiting blood flow to your feet, medicine and a regimented walking program are frontline treatment. If PAD is in its advanced stages, your physician may schedule a surgical intervention. Minimally invasive tools are available to remove plaque and restore blood flow, including Cardiovascular System's Diamondback 360 Athrectomy System, which sands away plaque that is a hard calcium. It's important to discuss all options with your physician, and if told you have no options, get a second opinion. Take a stand against amputation. For more information, go to standagainstamputation.com. That's standagainstamputation.com. Save my piggies, your life, your limb, your story, with host Dr. John Phillips and Kim McNicholas. So before we went to break, Helen was telling us how she was so desperate for some type of medical care, had issues with insurance, wasn't really getting anywhere. 
So you hatched this idea of going into a Walmart and shoplifting with the premise of getting caught, then potentially going to jail to get medical care. Is that right? So walk walk us through that thought process. Um, yeah, uh, I I thought that if I were to get caught and, and go to jail, that it would pay for the medical and that my husband and son, that uh, you know, I wouldn't be a burden to them um, because the bills were piling up. The car was breaking from driving back and forth to Jacksonville. And um, I didn't know what else to do. I, I thought, you know, maybe going to jail, they, they would have to provide for you. So that, you know, medical stuff would get taken care of anyway. But it didn't turn out that way. They gave me my regular prescriptions. They asked me what I was on. And at home, I was taking either Tylenol or Advil every two hours. And in jail, they give you two tablets a week. And that's it. And you know, Helen, this is Katie again, uh, nurse practitioner. So one of the things like when we get to desperate times, right, which we all do in life sometimes is when we become more reactive with their decision making. So, you know, you're thinking about your thoughts and such and thought about, you know, well, what's going to be the best way? And I think we all know that, you know, we hear all the time, well, if you're in jail, um, yeah, they have to provide medical care to you. Like that's one of your rights, you know? Um, So I'm sure that's what you were thinking. And, you know, unfortunately what happens with any type of violence in the United States or wherever, um, you know, it can be self-inflicted violence or then violence to others or something like that. And a lot of times those are reactionary actions that people take. So exactly what you were just saying, I felt like a burden on others. I felt like the bills are piling up. And, you know, so you made it would have been best if you could have sat back and talked to others and be like, hey, do you think this will work? But, you know, you didn't want to disclose your plan to anyone just in case it didn't work. Um, you know, so t- tell us a little bit more about your thought process with that, like recognizing that, yes, you might get arrested. Yes, they might have your, you know, pay for your care. Could you see anything past that? No, I, I just wanted to get the bills off my husband and son and um, and, and just get some kind of medical care to, um, you know, try to get rid of the pain, but also, you know, not be not be so much on them. Yeah. And Dr. Stout, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, recognizing that there are like systems out there and even Dr. Phillips, you may know this, too, is like where where do people like Helen go? when they're seeking help and they don't have financial means. I mean, I know we can go to the ERs, but sometimes, you know, we don't, we, it sounds like she already tried that route and she still didn't get effective treatment. Yeah. That's a, that's a very good point that you bring up that when you don't have healthcare insurance, a lot of these patients will just um, do, you know, what they have to, to, you know, just barely get by. They'll run to the emergency room uh, because that's the only, only place that's going to accept them uh, unless they, you know, can get plugged in with some type of community type clinic that's uh, subsidized by grants, et cetera. But even most of those primary care 
um, uh, facilities that are subsidized that take uh, patients that don't have the insurance, they they still are very um, hesitant to get the patient sent to a specialist because um, they have a difficult time trying to send a patient to a doctor who has no money to take care of it, even if they can get a grant to help pay for some of it. Um, you know, I've had discussions with our local community care clinic folks, and they're very good and very excited about getting all these patients on board. And I told them, I go, hey, I will take care of these patients uh, for you guys. I have no problems with that. Um, and, you know, from a business aspect, yeah, definitely we lose some money in it. But, you know, we're, we're not here to become millionaires. We're here just to live a life and, and break even and keep the lights on. And unfortunately, a lot of, um, you know, specialist clinics are protected by hospital administrators and other administrators who don't allow the physicians to do what they really want to do. And that's take care of everybody. Um, Chris, you bring up a great point that unfortunately people who have limited means or bad insurance or no insurance use our emergency rooms as their primary care. And we saw, I don't know, about you, but when COVID hit, nobody rooms and these folks were sitting at home who should have sought medical attention and didn't, and then they came to us even sicker. So that's that's a symptom of a, a larger problem within our healthcare system because the emergency room can't be a person's PCP or you know their family care doctor. But yet, like you said, a lot of these folks don't have anywhere to go. Yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, with the access piece as well is, you know, Helen, you you took extraordinary means to try to get free health care. But there's a lot of people, I'm sure, that are in your same shoes who would have also sought out additional substances on the street because they're cheaper. And, you know, and we know. All right. We all know there's fentanyl on the streets. There's there's every type of substance that you could possibly want on the streets and it's cheap. Right. So I'm sure that there's other people if they don't have access that way, they're they're taking out, you know, other sources like that. So did you have any other thoughts, Helen? I mean, instead of going into the store and, and, and taking some things, um, was that like, that was what your, your primary focus was? No, I, I didn't have a, um, a primary care physician. And when my daughter told me to go to the emergency room in Key West, I thought that that was way too expensive to just keep doing that. So I didn't want to do that. And then, Going to the doctor in Jacksonville, he he ran a lot of tests and everything, but he wouldn't give me anything for the pain. He said, um, you know, you don't need it right now. It's, it's not that bad. I've seen people worse than you. And um, it was just very frustrating. And so There's I thought, you know, piece. going to jail, they they would give me something for pain. And coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation, we're going to hear more of Helen's story. She is so courageous in sharing it with us and, and, and a grander discussion about what should be done to help patients like Helen to relieve the pain and get care a lot faster. So stay with us. My name is Dr. David Alper, and I'm here once again with another episode of Footnotes. And today we're going to talk about buying shoes. Now, why are we talking about buying shoes? Well, equipment is only as good as the tools that you give it. And your foot, of course, is a piece of equipment that needs to be protected properly and have the tools fit properly. So it's vitally important that you not only wear the right shoes for the right job, but that they're fitting the foot the way that they should. 
When you go to the shoe store, the first and foremost thing is to wear the socks that you're most likely going to be wearing with these shoes. So if they're dress shoes, you want to be wearing stockings if you're a woman or dress socks if you're a man. If you're going to be running, you want to wear athletic socks. And of course, if you're just buying casual shoes, something a little more fun. Unfortunately, most shoe stores nowadays don't measure you for shoes. So here's a few tips to know how a shoe fits. When you slip the shoe on, you want to make sure that there's room at the end of the shoe so when you grab it, you don't touch the big toe when you're sitting. The reason for that is that when a human being stands, the foot splays out, and you want to have the room to let that happen. If you do not do this, and you're hitting up against the end of the shoe, it could cause the toes to buckle, and they will rub on the inside, and it can also, over time, cause a deformity. You also want to make sure that there's room on either side, just a little bit of wiggle room, again, when the shoe is on and you are off your feet. When you tie the shoe, you want to make sure that the sides come together fairly closely. If they're spread apart like this, the shoe is too narrow, and maybe because your foot's a little meatier, is taking up more room. So you also want to tie the shoe to bring these closer together. Obviously, you want to make sure that you get, again, a sneaker, a dress shoe, or slip-on shoes. Now, the problem with slip-on shoes is the only way they stay on is being a little tight around the heel. That's okay as long as, again, you have the room here and here. The problem comes in is when you wear something backless because the only way a backless shoe stays on is by gripping. And once again, you're going to cause that contraction problem. It's much better to have a back strap because that will keep the shoe on. And even with a sandal, Using the back strap makes it much safer from tripping or the shoe falling off. If you make sure that your shoes fit you properly, they're not going to be a cause of problems. You're going to be more comfortable and you're going to enjoy your day. For further information, the American Podiatric Medical Association at APMA.org, the American Diabetes Association at Diabetes.org, and of course, the Way to My Heart at TheWayToMyHeart.org. This is Dr. David Alper. See you again with another Footnotes. Save My Piggies, your life, your limb, your story, with host Dr. John Phillips and Kim McNicholas. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. We have been talking to Helen about her story. She was experiencing chronic pain, saw no light at the end of the tunnel for getting relief, medical bills piling up, et cetera, et cetera. She goes into a Walmart, starts picking up some items, and she walks to just beyond the point of sale and stands there. I mean, this is a woman that literally could barely walk. She was hobbling and she stood there at the point of sale right there beyond. And Helen, you were waiting to get caught. You had no intention of walking out the door only to get caught. And what did the loss prevention officer say to you when he walked up to you? Well, he walked up to me and he said, "Um, I think you have something of mine. And I said, yes, I do. And he said, okay. And then the police came in the front door and um, the police told me, wait with them while they, they went and counted the stuff. And then the policeman said, why did you do this? And I said, because I'm a burden to my family. I'm in so much pain. I wanted to get some kind of medical stuff. And he's like, okay. He's like, well, let's go sit in my truck so that it's not so painful. And they took her in. And, and it's, it's, it's so sad. Thank you so much, Helen. 
for for sharing that. And I just want to open it up for final thoughts from um, nurse practitioner Catherine and Dr. Stout and Dr. Phillips, you know, on this situation with with chronic pain and it not getting treated within our healthcare system in a timely, effective manner. Well, I think looking at pain, we've got to be open-minded that, you know, in the early 2000s, we were telling people that narcotics were not addictive, right? And and, and when we were giving out free samples, um, lo and behold, you know, after the free samples and us making pain the fifth vital sign, um, you know, we created this huge problem, right? So as providers, we created it based on the recommendations that we had, but then we shift the whole pendulum and now we don't provide pain treatment for anyone like we we are completely ineffective with this and we have to realize that pain you know is is a natural part of life so um are we hurting every people every day who have true pain issues yes we are and we're not giving them effective means and unfortunately physicians and providers their hands are tied and it's leaving patients in very vulnerable situations to where they're taking you know their circumstances into their own hands and they're doing the best that they can do but helen you know she doesn't have the coping mechanisms to recognize like well maybe Maybe I can go here. Maybe I can go here. Maybe go to this specialty. Instead, she's hurting. When you're hurting, you're going to act to try to advocate for yourself one way or the other. I'll just piggyback on those thoughts because when I was a a resident, we had, you know, we saw patients that had, they needed pain medications. We had a pathway for it. It was very um, regimented. And yes, you kind of recognize that there could be addiction, but a lot of these folks needed it. And to your point, Katie, the pendulum has swung so far to the other side that when someone asks for pain medicine, a lot of us, and I get guilty of it sometimes, and you know, I need better empathy. I'm thinking, okay, does this person really need pain meds, like true pain meds? Are they seeking out pain meds? Do they have some nefarious motive for asking for these things? And okay, maybe I'll give them a couple, uh, you know, maybe three or four of them, like that's going to do any good. But that's the mentality right now for, for better or worse. And I think it's for worse. Yeah. Absolutely. And one thing that we're what we're noticing, too, with pain is, you know, there's a there's a part of the uh, in the brain chemistry. Right. So if there's trauma, it sends these pain signals and they don't stop sometimes. So when we take all these opiates, those pain signals keep going. So it's so much more complex than what we know. And we're not addressing it to the level that people actually need. I would agree. And you can actually get online and check somebody's prescription history to see if they're a chronic, you know, seeker of pain meds. So a lot of times you can just check and see like, oh, they haven't had any narcotic pain medicine in in two years or ever. Let's just treat this patient. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, everyone. This is obviously going to be an ongoing discussion. Helen, thank you so much for your bravery. Catherine and Dr. Stout, thank you so much for your expertise. And obviously, this is going to be, of course, as I said, an ongoing discussion. Hopefully, we'll find a resolution going forward because these patients do not deserve to suffer. And as John said in the beginning of the show, we need more empathy. You've been listening to The Heart of Innovation with Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Our mission is to help patients live a better quality of life through comprehensive education, real-time support, and high-touch advocacy in partnership with thewaytomyheart.org and take a stand against amputation. Our purpose is to reduce the 1.5 million heart attacks and strokes and nearly 200,000 amputations annually. For more information regarding topics you've heard discussed on today's program, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. 
The heart of innovation is for educational and informational purposes only, and advice and views shared are not a substitute for medical advice from your own supervising physician. Do not act on any information provided in this show without the explicit consent from your own healthcare team. If you think you are having a medical emergency, call your local emergency number or go to the nearest hospital or emergency room. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 